One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, where the show that generates biography using the songs that have become entwined with our guests' lives and life stories. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Meg Favreau. Meg's a writer, artist, and filmmaker who grew up in northern New Hampshire. After attending college in upstate New York, she moved to Philadelphia, where she briefly worked for the TV shopping channel QVC, before quickly pivoting to managing online publications and food writing, often focusing on weird and forgotten recipes. In 2011, she published the cookbook Little Old Lady Recipes, Comfort Food, and Kitchen Table Wisdom. Throughout this time, Meg was also writing and performing sketch comedy, and in 2011, she moved to Los Angeles to pursue a career in television writing. Over the years since, she's worked primarily on animated series for Netflix, Hulu, Warner Brothers Animation, Hasbro, and Mattel, almost none of which she says has been released yet because animation takes so darn long to produce. Meg also writes prose humor, writes and directs short films and makes art. Her essays have appeared in The New Yorker's Shouts and Murmurs, Real Simple, Eating Well, McSweeney's, and The American Bystander. In 2020, her short film Hot Dog Steering Wheel won Best Short Short at the Fort Myers Film Festival, which is where we crossed paths, and after seeing it, I just knew I had to get her into the Three Song Stories chair. Hey there, Meg, how are you? I am doing so well. I'm so happy to be here and that we could finally do this. Yeah, no, it's been a while since the Fort Myers Film Festival when Hot Dog Steering Wheel took home Best Short, which we'll get to more of later, but I just want to be able to throw that out there for listeners, which, by the way, it is on her website. You can watch it, so go Google Meg Favreau. Is that how you pronounce your name, Favreau? Uh, Well, so I actually say... Favreau, and that's what my immediate family says, but my extended family, half of them say Favreau, so I I accept almost any pronunciation of the name. I'll stick with Favreau. I like that. It's not like the guy who makes the movies that everyone (laughs) was wondering if you were related to. Uh, Yeah, Um, so according to my uncle who does genealogy, like somewhere way back we're related, uh, but not in any real or meaningful way. Okay, well, that's a good answer to a question I didn't think we were going to get an answer to. Um, okay, so what was, or perhaps still is, your favorite QVC product? Ooh, um, that is a great question. Um, I'll say uh, it's actually uh, Smashbox Cosmetics probably is a, a makeup that I still use that I learned about when I was at QVC. Uh, And um, so one of the things you might not know about QVC is like the employees actually have a studio store that uh, you can just, you know, get up from your desk and like walk through the building and go to the studio store. And so I'd I'd buy makeup at the studio store and uh, I still use uh, like Smashbox lipstick and eyeshadow to this day. Wow. So like when you go into like Walgreens and there's like a as seen on TV section, you had at QVC a as seen on QVC store. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, you know, you can also do, um, you, they do like tours for the public and stuff. So like the public can also buy at that store. But yeah, it's, you know, we had an employee discount, go up down there, pick up a few things, get some gifts. Uh, you know, don't worry about it. Okay. So you grew up in northern New Hampshire, right? Yes. Yes, I did. Does, does that mean that's like you're practically Canadian? Uh, yes, uh, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, a couple, a couple of hours south by driving from the Canadian border, but that's just because there's, like, no major roads up there. It's, you know, if there was, like, an actual highway between where I grew up and the border, it would probably be much faster. Um, I'm half French-Canadian. It's a big French-Canadian area. You'll hear a lot of people speaking French. Uh, so, yeah, I, I consider myself an honorary Canadian, even though I have no citizenship. And also, I hope I am offending no Canadians by saying this. How rural was your upbringing? Well, so the best way that I've found to explain it to people is um, so there was about 300 people in my town and um, and, and there's a bigger town next to us that had 3000 people and it had, you know, some stores and some restaurants and all that. But um, the town I was in, we were so actually so small that we had no trash service. And so every Saturday morning you had to bring your own garbage to the dump. And so because of that and because there was no businesses in my actual town, uh, the town dump was just the hangout yeah, in it's town. Like, it's like town square. Yeah, exactly. And so like there's um, there would be like, you know, they had like a little 
shack at the dump where people would hang out and there's, you know, coffee and somebody's wife always made donuts and uh, people would just like go and shoot the on Saturday mornings at the dump. Uh, And I feel like that's kind of the best way to describe (laughs) the size of the town. Yeah, that characterizes it pretty well. So how would you (laughs) describe the musical background of your childhood there? Well, you know, it's funny because I was... My parents aren't really musical people. My dad is more than my mom. But I was asking my mom ahead of ahead of coming on the show, uh, you know, sort of like what her favorite music was, what her musical memories were. And she was just like she was like, you know, I don't really have a relationship with music, um, which is true. And I mean, you know, she has she has a she's an incredible, voracious reader. Uh, and and you know take her in of other arts, but but music isn't the one she really connected with. Um, and the one of my earliest musical memories is actually um, it's dancing with her to Thriller, which is like a a, a memory I love because I loved that album so much as a kid. But also I was I had was asking her about all of this kind of being like, well, you know, Michael Jackson doesn't really age well would love to have like another musical memory to bring up and she's you know searching her brain she's like oh what about when we used to dance to michael jackson and i was like okay that's the one that's the memory <laughs> um uh what about music moving you as a child can you think back to a time where you something about music that you heard uh connected with you emotionally somehow yeah i um this this was i think this was maybe a little older this was i think like early middle school but um th- I think it was Nikki French did that cover of Total Eclipse of the Heart, if you remember that. Um, I do. And there was something about that song that just got deep inside me. Like, you know, it, I mean, it's that um, it's it's when a song, it's sort of like uh, you hit a tuning fork and it like hums with the the same resonance of your heart. It's just like something feels like so right about it. And I have this memory. I'd heard the song on the radio and I have this memory of like writing in a journal like, oh my God, that Nikki French song is going to come out today. I'm going to be able to buy it. Like it was just like, like mind blowing to me that like I might be able to take this thing that like gave me such an emotional rush and like actually physically have it in my house and be able to listen to it when I wanted to and not just find it on the radio. It was just like... Fantastic. It was like the best kind of melodramatic. Yes. Like the song was just like, it was so big and and earnest. And even if you had no idea what you were hearing, it still made you feel like you did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Brothers or sisters, Meg? Uh, Yes. One younger sister, four years younger. Did you influence her musically? (laughs) Uh, if, If anything, I think I influenced her away from everything that I liked. Um, you know, it's funny because now, now we're very good friends and now we have very similar musical tastes, I'd say, uh, at at least in some areas. But, you know, I, I was listening to, um, I mean, I don't know if this is going to give away some of my stuff later, but like in high school, for example, I was listening to a lot of They Might Be Giants and then like a lot of like Riot Girl and some pop punk and, and she just went totally like, Eminem, you know, any popular rap at the time, just like what what is like diametrically like what can what can I find out about in New Hampshire that like gets me far away from here? And and look, I don't I don't know if that's what she was doing, but it was it was not similar, let's say, in in tastes. Uh, do you remember the first music you owned yourself that you choose to have? So I. I'm going to give a couple of answers to this because I I know I had to have had some sort of a tape and I can't remember. The first CD I got was TLC's Crazy Sexy Cool. Um, that that I'm very sure about. And then the first CD that I got that I still listen to regularly was Harvey Danger's Where Have All the Merrymakers Gone, um, which is just, I think, such a top-to-bottom killer album. And, you know, the fact that Flagpole Sitter was the single off of it um, I feel like always did that album a little bit of a disservice because that song's amazing, but it also is, you know, I think it's something that people listen to and, and roll. some people roll their eyes at a little bit. Uh, but I just, it's so good. You know, it's funny, crazy, sexy, cool. This is I Tara, think, by the oh, way. Yeah. Meg, Hi, Tara, I'm Tara, Tara, Meg. <laughs> oh, hey, Tara. Uh, uh, Tara, nice I have something you. to say to you later that, that oh. has nothing to do with this podcast, but hold, I mean, hold for that later. Okay, I'm like you can say wow, it now it's a if you'd teaser. like to, but uh, well, I, I mean, if you want me to, I can't. I just don't. I don't want to mess up the record too much. Oh, 
No, you already did. Here we are. Yeah, it's that's happening. I'm sorry. I'm so it. sorry. I wasn't <laughs> no, sure I she was it. here to. Um, so, so Tara, you're the one who likes who likes wrestling, right? I do. <laughs> so, so one of, one of my old sketch comedy friends is actually one of the AEW refs now. No. Uh, who? Yeah, Bryce Remsburg. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, fantastic. Yeah. He's a really yeah, cool. No. Ref too. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. No, he's he's great. I've, I haven't talked to him in a few years because uh, you know I've been in LA and he was back in Philly, but he's just, he's like such a great guy. And he'd been doing local wrestling refereeing, like all through the time I knew him. And uh, it was like so exciting to see him get hired for that because he's so good. And he just, it's, it, yeah, it was really fantastic to see. He is fantastic as a ref too. Just his presence in the ring is great. And the way he reacts to the wrestlers, interacts with them. Anyway, we could, we could go off on a tangent. It's Friday yeah. and I know what that means. It's AEW uh, Dynamite tonight. Dynamite. So I'm nice. super excited. Awesome. But, Back to the anyway. podcast. Yes. <laughs> uh, the, the, what I love about Crazy Sexy Cool, it's TLC are my initials, by the way. So I guess awesome. I don't know if I always had an affinity for the group because of that fact. Um, but I loved the interludes, like with Buster Rhymes and, yeah. and how all the songs had interludes. I sometimes would love those more than certain songs themselves. <laughs> like Can I Get a Witness with Buster Rhymes is uh-huh. probably oh, wife, oh, yeah. one of my favorite tracks yeah. on that album. <laughs> Because I like to think, you know, it's like, can I get a girl that's crazy, is sexy? I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just Ugh. am imagining you making a little checklist, of, like about yourself. It's like, yes, like I'm all these. hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Great. So, um, were you playing any musical instruments as a child, or were they being played around you? Uh, man, I tried, dude. I tried so hard. <laughs> um, I. I so in in elementary school I started with flute. I didn't like it. I switched to trumpet. I was not good at it. In high school I picked up guitar and accordion. Uh I was not good at Wait, either whoa, of those. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you can't just <laughs> blow through oh flute, trumpet, guitar and accordion. <laughs> did you guys have an accordion like in the house or uh, did you buy no, an accordion? I bought an accordion. Uh but, well, I can I can talk about I can I'm happy to talk about the reason for the accordion. It it relates to the first song I'm going to do. So yes, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't know how you want to how you want me to slot in that information. If you want me to just talk about it now. Uh, yeah. Well, we're ready for song number one. So let's okay, use great. this natural segue to do that. Okay. Um, and I'm I'm yeah I'm gonna talk I'm gonna talk about it after I think. Oh, okay. So we're gonna just go ahead and listen to it. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, then this is uh, Meg Favreau's first song on Three Song Stories, Till My Head Falls Off by They Might Be Giants from their 1998 album Severe Tire Damage. The purchasing of that album, uh, Severe Tire Damage, uh, which was They Might Be Giants' first live album, kind of directed the course of my life (laughs) in in weird ways, um, where... I beca- I became deeply obsessed with They Might Be Giants a- after getting this album. And I, hence, hence uh, they have an accordion in the band and hence getting the accordion. Uh, and so I joined this They Might Be Giants message board where I became friends with They Might Be Giants fans from all around the world. And because of that message board, I started making zines, which was like a big part of my life in high school. Uh, because of somebody I met on there, uh, because of people I met on there, like that's why I went to film school, because I, I had wanted to be an actor at the time, and I did this thing which was not not super logical, where I was like, you know what, being an actor is an unreasonable career, um, so I'm going to do the much smarter and more lucrative career of filmmaking, um, and then, but then I also. Um, this is a little convoluted, but so through people, I uh, there was other people on there where we were all our websites were all hosted on the same place, and there was this band of guys, um, the Spinto Band, um, who you may or may not have heard of. They're uh, fantastic. They've had a couple of really good albums, um, and we were hosted on the same site. And so these two guys who lived near them found my my website through the Spinto Band's website, and I ended up. Uh, dating one of these guys for seven years and moved to Philadelphia because of it, um, which is then where I met my sketch comedy partner and started doing comedy. And like, it, it just, it's the, I have no idea what my life would be if I never picked up this album. It, it hmm. in like really direct and also subtle ways, it has directed the person 
who I am um, that in in ways where I, when I think about it, sometimes I'm just like, that's that's insane for one one randomly choosing one album at the Barnes and Noble to be able to do that to your life. Would you say that the They Might Be Giant sensibility is something that immediately resonated with you because you were already kind of like this or in some ways did it inform who you are today? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I, I like a lot of people uh, around my age, I first found out about They Might Be Giants on Tiny Toon Adventures. Um, they did two <laughs> Particle little, Man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They did Particle Man and they did Istanbul. They did Istanbul. And, you know, and it had been in back of my, my mind since then. And so that's why I picked up the album. And so, you know, it had resonated with me. But I think that they've also been just a huge influence on me too um especially John Linnell's songwriting because he he does this thing that I think is just such a magic trick where he has these incredible poppy songs with incredibly dark lyrics i mean as you just heard and and i i love that combination of being able to address the just brutality of life with humor and cheerfulness and this sort of you know um, because I think that's that's the best way to look at the brutality of life because we have to admit it. We have to <laughs> admit that life really is like sucks sometimes and is is hard and difficult, but also like we can laugh about it. And there's so many amazing, cheerful things, too. Um, that's a huge part of my aesthetic as as a writer and an artist. I, I need to recommend uh, Jonathan Coulton. To you? Ooh, yes. Um, yes. Be- okay, so ShopVac. This one the- I have not listened to, so please go on. Okay, so ShopVac is a song about if you're in a, a relationship that's not working because you've lost all of the magic in it. Uh, it's okay if you're upstairs crying because I'm down with the ShopVac in the garage and we can't hear each other. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's loud with the ShopVac on. <laughs> um, and then he's got one, I Feel Fantastic. Okay, and yeah. It's this and that one is up it's so fast. It's got like a like a I don't know, like a one thirty six BPM. It's it's jazzy, but it's a song about all of the all of the pills that he takes to even out his mood so that oh he feels God. he's like, I feel fantastic and I've never felt as good as how I feel right now, except for maybe when I think about that day when I felt the way that I do right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need to spend more time with him. I've I've seen him on a couple of live shows, um and oh. always really liked him. But I'm so jealous. Uh, uh, I think he was he was touring with John Hodgman for a while. Does that sound right? That sound uh, it sounds exactly right. Yeah, yeah. and so so yeah. I saw John Hodgman a couple of times in Philly, and I think Jonathan Colton was always with him. Did you ever get to see They Might Be Giants? Oh my goodness, my man! <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I've I think they're the band I've seen more than any other band. I've I've probably seen them twelve or fifteen times now. Uh, I I technically have tickets to three They Might Be Giants shows in the upcoming calendar year, most of which I think I can't make at this point because they've all been pushed from, uh, you know, two years ago. Uh, but yeah, it's they're they're the band that is the it, it's is still such a just like purely joyful experience for me to see is them it, every single time. Is there a word for those like like deadhead, but for They Might Be Giants? <laughs> you know, there probably is, but I do not know it. If you don't, there must not be. I'm, I'm guessing. Um, do the words Moxie Fruvis mean anything to you? Oh, yes. Yes, they do. I had a, a high school Yay. teacher who, when, when she found out I was into They Might Be Giants, she was like, there's something that you need to know about. Please take this Moxie Fruvis album. And I was like, yes, I did need to know about this. And did you like it or did you just it, what didn't live up to They Might Be Giants? Yeah, no, I loved it. I I was really into them. I mean, especially I think Bargainville is an incredible album. You're yeah. correct. And I just I got <laughs> I just got to say I had the correct opinion there. Great. No, I'm no, sorry. no. Well, I just got to say your story about they might be giants redirecting your life in some ways applies to me with Moxie Fruvis because really? in like 1991 I worked at a music store, bookstore in Gainesville and came across a promo advance copy of Bargainville. And didn't listen to anything else for like the next three years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and have introduced a bunch of people to him over the years. And I'm like this guy in Florida. So like, how the hell did I come across Moxie <laughs> Fruis? But, but anyway, I just figured being from northern New Hampshire and liking They Might Be Giants, you were probably in the Venn diagram of yes. Moxie Fruvis no, uh, knowledgeable people. There are dozens exactly. of us. <laughs> so um, in high school, what was your vibe? Um, depression. 
<laughs> which is something that I I laugh about. So sorry that. That is, that is a joke. <laughs> um, uh, so that resonates I, with me so hard. So I'm like, yeah, I get you. I get you. Um, so I was a depressed, quasi-riot girl, punk-like zine maker, but also going to a high school that trained professional skiers. So uh, I, I guess my vibe was outcast. I, I guess maybe that's the, <laughs> the better way to describe did, it. Did you ski? Um, not competitively. I, I cross-country skied and I raced for one year, my freshman year, and I, I was literally the last person who would come in on the races. Meg, we're uh, in I Florida. So <laughs> when, you say, when you say not competitively but cross-country, <laughs> that's a yes. Like we, uh, <laughs> we don't own skis. So fair, fair. So so what did you want to be when you grew up and uh, part B to that question is is do you consider yourself having grown up? Um you know I do consider myself having grown up but in the in the way where like I think being a grown up is getting to make exactly the life that you want to have. And so I think that there's probably people who would look at me and <laughs> look at my life choices and be like Man, that person has not grown up. But I, to me, it's just like adulthood is the embodiment of getting to be exactly who you want to be, and and that's what I feel like I'm doing. Um, so, uh, can I actually tell you a little a little music related story about what I wanted to be in high school? Absolutely, that's like the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, on this podcast where you tell stories about music, Mind can friend, I tell yeah. a story about music? Um, so I. <laughs> When I was in high school and depressed, um, I was freaking out about what I wanted to do with my life because, you know, I was in this teeny tiny town. I was very unhappy there and I was very intense at the time um, and was just became fixated on like, I need to know exactly what I want to do with life so I can know what college I want to go to so I can go to that college so I can get out of here so I can live the life I want to have, you know, just like I had a plan um, and you know, I kind of thought I wanted to be a musician because I really I idolized all of these musicians. I loved music so much. Um, and, you know, I, I was just like, yeah, it's like they, they do all these things that I love. And so my mom, in trying to help me, did this really lovely thing where she found four hours south in Boston. She found this company that did in-person aptitude testing. So, you know, it's sort of like the, those tests that I think they make you take sometimes in high school where it, like, tries to target, like, this is what you'd be good at in life, except they actually go and do all of these different physical tests with you. And it's it's math skills. It's language skills. It's memory. It's your fine motor skills. it's There was one where it's like I had to pretend to throw a baseball because they're, I don't know, they're trying to figure out something with coordination. So, so you do all of these tests over two days and... Uh, and then at the end, they tell you what you're good at and what you're bad at. And I went in, you know, being like, I'm going to be a musician. And there was a there was a test for pitch recognition. And out of 100 possible points, I got a five. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I think I'm actually better than that. Like, I, I don't think I have a, a five of pitch recognition, but I also I'm not amazing. And and it was actually it was like pretty brutal for me for a little bit because it was, you know, it forced me to look at something I didn't really want to look at, which is that, you know, music music didn't come natural to me and was not my aptitude. But also it made me realize I was like, all of the things that I like about being a musician aren't actually necessarily the music. It's the writing. It's the performing. And it's the making the album art. <laughs> So I was like, oh, there's so many things you can do that are all of these things that have nothing to do with actually being a person who plays music, uh, which then sort of like, re, you know, kind of redirected my life towards those things, uh, which I was, it turns out, much better at and enjoyed a lot more. Um, when, when was your first paying gig as a writer? Uh, ooh, that is a good question. Uh, I mean, technically... I think technically it was my my job at QVC when I graduated. Um, okay. Uh, what do you was, write for QVC? I was a copywriter there. 
But like, what's the? I guess like the descriptions of the products. Uh, yeah. So I was I was writing a few different things. I was writing. Um, if you see saw any on air graphics, I was writing some of those. Uh, I was writing cue cards for the hosts and uh, some. Occasionally, I got to write a couple of. Um, I don't know if you've seen QVC how they have like internal commercials for other QVC shows, uh, which is always was always so funny to me on like. A network that is just selling you stuff, they stop selling you stuff to give you commercials about other stuff they're going to be selling you. <laughs> um, but uh, so I wrote I wrote some of those. OK. Um, yeah. <laughs> and but but beyond that, what about something like in a publication or something? Yeah. Like that? Yeah. Um, so I think the first thing I got was writing for um, the the website for this guidebook series, Not for Tourists. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of them. Uh, fantastic guidebook series. Uh, it was really, really big in sort of the like 90s, 2000s, uh, where it was a, a guidebook to help you navigate city like cities like a local. And so I uh, was writing about Philadelphia, which is where I was living at the time. And it was great because, you know, they wanted they wanted all the stuff of like, you know, Give us your bar reviews, you know, your favorite dive bars, your restaurants, your whatever. Um, but, but also, I think, like, one time I I submitted to them, I'm like, hey, guys, I saw some teeth on the street today, and I want to write a review of it. And they were like, yeah, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> and I was like, okay, great. And so it was a really good home for me because it was, um, you know... Uh, and uh, just kind weirdos. I, I feel like anywhere there's kind weirdos, I, I am at home. Sorry, teeth? Teeth, yes. Like, like... Speaking okay. of teeth, um, did you ever see the band The Teeth in Philadelphia? Oh, my God. I love The Teeth. I, what a uh, a They're like, actually... oh, my God, you know Moxie Frumis and The Teeth. No, Meg, a friend of friends. mine was their yeah. drummer for a while, Jonas. <gasps> Whoa. <laughs> Wait, don't we know somebody else who knows? No, uh, Danny Black. Black. Do you know the musician Danny Black? He was no, with, I don't uh, good know old, him. Good Old War. Do you know Good Old War? Mm-mm, no. They, they came along after you and. Well, Philly, you guys both know him. You guys both know the the drummer. I was in yeah. Philly in like 2000, I don't know, mid-2000s, and I went to a bar. Oh, that, that four... was the same time I was in Philly. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe you were at this gig. It was like a four-band four four show, and my girlfriend knew somebody in one of the bands, and we stuck around for the last band, and it was The Teeth. And they were like phenomenal. And then I bought their CD. And, you know, you buy CDs at shows and a lot of times they're like, OK, it's not really right. all that. But I've listened to like Send My Regards to the Sunshine probably 10,000 times. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, do, have you have you spent any time with You're My Lover now? No, I haven't. Oh, oh my goodness. I, I, th- I think I like that one even more. It, it is such a good album. Uh, was was the was the bar the fire or was it somewhere else? I don't have any idea, but I'll find out. I could probably find out the answer. Yeah, I'd, I'd be I'd be curious. Oh, that's so funny that you were there at the same time. I mean, I we've we've probably been to some of the same shows then. That's oh, so interesting. I was only there briefly visiting family. So. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, no, I didn't I didn't live there. Um, um, little old lady recipes, comfort yeah. food, and kitchen table wisdom. That you published in 2011 has humorous wisdom from grandmas. My question is, did you talk to grandmas or did you just channel your inner whiz-wise grandma? Uh, it was it was a little of both, but it was actually a lot of talking to grandmas. Uh, it was um, – there were there's a woman in that book, uh, I believe her name was Dobrilla, um, who uh, – was ran a neighborhood Polish restaurant in Fishtown uh, in Philadelphia. And the photographer, Mike, and I went and we spent, I think, four hours with her where she just like cooked for us and gave us all of this wisdom. I mean, and I, I talked to other women, too. Like we did a lot of like house visits and stuff um, to photograph women in their kitchens and talk with them. Um, but she she was, I think, maybe the most amazing. Um, but one of the things that was really nice, too, is, you know, at the time I was writing uh, this book, is b- both of my grandmothers had already passed, but I was able to also include some of their quotes and some of their recipes in the book, uh, which was just really lovely to be able to do. Hmm. So right around the time you published that is when you moved to L.A. Um, yeah. Had you been out west much before that move, or was that a leap of faith knowing you wanted to get into TV writing? Um, it was a little of both. Um, I, I had spent some time, 
uh, in Colorado previously, which actually relates to my second song. Um, but yeah, it, in terms of moving to L.A., you know, I had reached the point where I, I knew I wanted to be a TV writer or try to be a TV writer. I mean, be a TV writer. But uh, and, you know, when you're living in a city that isn't New York or L.A., that means moving to New York or L.A. And New York City makes me feel like I'm going to have a small heart attack every time I'm there. Uh, so I was like, hey, let's see what this Los Angeles is about. Um, and and I visited and I just I I loved L.A. because it has, you know, all of the the restaurants and the culture, but also an ocean and hikes and, you know, all of the nature stuff that I love being a kid who grew up in the middle of nowhere. So take us back to Colorado on your way to L.A. and your second song. Yeah. So um, in in. So I mentioned I had depression in high school. Don't worry. It's I'm fine with it. Uh, but I that continued on to early college. And uh, my mom very sweetly was like, didn't want me to come back to rural New Hampshire the summer after my freshman year of college. And so she arranged for me to go live for the summer with my cousin's wife, who was living in Loveland, Colorado. Uh, my cousin was station, in the Army stationed in Korea at the time. And so... I went to Loveland and had this just really weird summer where, you know, even though I had had a whole freshman year of college, I think this summer was the first time that I really sort of started becoming an adult and figuring out what it meant to live on my own um, or without my parents or without that sort of school support system um, through a lot of dumb trial and error. And it was just such a emotionally weird summer with like really deep lows and really high highs. I saw a lot of music. Um, but one of the things I did is uh, my, my cousin's wife had intended me for her uh, to for me to drive her Jeep, but I didn't know how to drive stick. And so the only other car they had was this giant diesel pickup truck. And so I spent the entire summer driving this giant diesel pickup truck back and forth to my soul-crushing phone surveying job and uh, just listening to this Le Tigre album um, as loud as I could. And it felt like such absolute freedom to me. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, what color was the truck? Green. How old was it? It was pretty new. It, it wasn't like it wasn't like a cool, like, you know, like 70s Toyota thing. It was more of a... I don't remember if it was a Dodge or what, but it was more of a like, this is a modern heavy duty pickup truck for all of your hauling needs. How how tall were you? <laughs> yeah. At that age? Uh, yeah, no, I I have been five three for a long time. I'm a <laughs> tiny tiny leaf of a woman, um, and so uh, yeah, it was. I think when people saw this truck coming and then heard the music and saw the person driving, there was a little bit of a disconnect. Um, but also, you know, it's like I'm like the area I'm from is like a big pickup truck area. It's like I'm, I'm you know, I'm from uh, a rural area. It's not a, it's more of a logging area than a farming area. And so to me, it was just like a it was a good synthesis of sort of like where I'm where I'm from and where I'm going and sort of who I am. All right. Well, let's listen to this song through that lens. This is a Decepticon by how do you say the name? Let La, 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 La Tigre. Yeah, La Tigre. La Tigre. Uh, from their 1991 self-titled album. Dancing in your seat. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm one of those people where if, if if I like the song, it's like I, it's getting me not to dance is, you know, it's I'm going to dance, basically. <laughs> Were you singing at the top of your lungs even though the aptitude test said you couldn't? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I do. I love singing. Like, I love the act of singing. I'm just, um, you know, I'm I'm aware of the effects on other people. Um, (laughs) And I'm I'm actually I'm doing I'm very slowly doing an online singing class right now just to sort of feel more comfortable with it. How does that work? Um, It's it's uh, a a very uh, energetic lady who just sort of. It teaches you, I mean, what, what I'm guessing are a lot of basic technique things in terms of breathing and different exercises and, you know, singing vowels and then adding consonants. I'm also very 
uh, I'm very early in the class right now, so I there's only so much I can say about it. But um, yeah, so I, I've just been trying, you know, I, I kind of got to this point where it's like, I'm not comfortable with other people hearing me sing most of the time, but I like doing it. And so, you know, what can I what can I do to sort of shrink that gap a little bit? What about karaoke then? Uh, drunk. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's all you got to say. That's all No, sorry, say that again. Do you have a go-to song? So two things. I really like doing Harvey Danger's Flagpole Sitta. Uh, I also, there's a period of time where I loved getting groups of people to do the Cranberry Zombie because I think yep. it's one of those songs that almost nobody sings well. And so there's this joy in just getting a bunch of people together shrieking zombie at the top of their lungs uh, that that just made me so happy. Um, do you listen to much NPR? Yes. Did you happen to listen to Morning Edition this morning? Uh, I didn't this morning. Oh, okay. Well, this is going to be kind of useless. We might even not leave this in. But um, uh, every year, Susan Stamberg gives out Mama Stamberg's cranberry relish recipe, blah, blah, blah. Uh This year, they had her interview the two remaining guys from the cranberries. (laughs) And then she sprung her recipe on them. And you could could feel them being like, what "What the f*** is going on? (laughs) fantastic i wish i had heard that you really pushed it was the, pun. the strangest yeah. spot bit i've ever heard on public they're not gonna radio. do that again no it, it did not resonate with me um I, before we leave colorado i want to go back there how long were you yeah. there and and you talked about your soul crushing uh thing i mean like what what did that inform in your life that time that you had there besides like remembering this song um so i i was just there for summer so i was there for Three months, maybe. Um, but it was it was a lot about sort of learning how to put myself out in the world. Um, you know, every every friend that I made that summer was somebody who I met by just like going to see a show and just talking to people, um, which is not my base state. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm a what I sometimes call an extroverts introvert, uh, where it's like I can be very gregarious, but I'm definitely an introvert. And also uh, less so now, but especially back then, had a lot of social anxiety. But, you know, I I would just sort of like be like that person looks cool and kind of like muster up the courage and talk to them. And it would always be awesome. Um, and, you know, so I did that and just did a lot of like uh, – rollerblading <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and like cooking for myself for the first time and doing really stupid things like um, putting liquid dish soap in the dishwasher or taking uh, I took a ride from a strange man because it was pouring rain and, and it, he ended up being a perfectly nice person. But, you know, things where I look back on it and it was just like, well, I was figuring some stuff out that some of which I will never do again. Um but it, you know, it was one of those times where in your life where it's like you don't necessarily feel good all the time, but there's like a lot of growth that comes out of it. Hmm. Um, so when you were in Fort Myers for the Fort Myers Film Festival, when we debuted Hot Dog Steering Wheel, you alluded to being working on something uh, at Netflix and you couldn't yes. talk about it at the time. Are you able yet to talk about it? I am not. I can, I can still tell you I'm working on a show at Netflix and uh, we're going to break so, it wide open. <laughs> no, I, I do. Dude, I wish I could. Um, but uh, that that is all I can say. It's going to be cool. I'm really excited for everyone to see it. Uh, I cannot tell you what it is or when that will happen. They They might be Giants animated series. Dude. Oh, my God, that would be amazing. Uh, Um, If you can help me make that happen, um, just let me know. So you've been out in L.A. for a decade working, you know, working on TV writing and things like that. Can you shed some light on what it's been like when the Netflixes and the Hulus of the world came along and started suddenly, from my perspective, dumping lots of money at this, thereby presumably creating lots of jobs? Is that all true from your perspective? Sorry, I'm 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 la- I'm laughing at the question and then my reaction to the question, which is making me laugh more. I'm I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry no. to laugh. It's well, no, because because that's and I, I'm also laughing because like 
I've, I had I actually had a therapist ask me the same thing when I was like having a hard time finding work. And she's like, well, there's all of these places now. There, there must be more jobs. I'm t- TV writing. It, it, so th- there is absolutely more work. Um, TV writing is also uh, just a really competitive industry where there's a, a fair amount of people, um, you know, trying to get the same small number of jobs. And also it's it's an industry that has um, pretty big pipeline issues. I think, you know, some of which are being worked on and some of which are still still problematic where it, you know, it really favors people who have uh, already be, been doing the work or like have big networks of people they already know or whatever. And and I, I don't say that in a like me sort of way. It's just um, it's sort of this way I've seen it working. And so, uh, yes, there there is more and it's been getting better, but it hasn't been totally the like... Um, rainbow shower of of work that one might hope. <laughs> okay, it would that, be well, that. Well, that I, I I well, thank you for answering that question. Uh, I am not your therapist, though. I <laughs> asked you a question. Your therapist did. Um, I, I'm, do, have, I'm so sorry for laughing at it. I'm, I'm so sorry. Oh no, I that's, I appreciate that's that. That's, that means I that means I did good in my from my perspective. Um, do you have a dream gig or collaboration? Ooh. That is a really good question. I I want to be running I want to run shows and I I want to run shows that uh have weird things for women, weird parts for women, weird stories for women that uh get to sort of the reality of the darkness of life but are also deeply funny. Uh, I know that's sort of like a broad, <laughs> that might be kind of a broad explanation or a broad. Like Dead uh, Like Me. Like Dead Like Me is a great example. Um, or um, this this isn't as focused on women, but like I, I love, um, I don't know if you saw Kidding, that Jim Carrey show uh, is just like, it, it's fantastic. It's it's brutally dark, but really funny and also fantastical um, in, in a way that I think is just lovely. Um you know, my my taste can be a little all over the place. And I also I mm-hmm. write, you know, I write comedy and I write sort of, um, you know, speculative fiction, sci fi and stuff, because I, I just like sort of playing in heightened worlds. Um, also, in terms of dream collaboration, I know you were joking about they might be Giants TV show, but like one of my legitimate goals is to one day make a show where they can write the theme song, because uh, that's something that they you know, they did the Malcolm in the Middle one. They actually did the. Uh, Daily Show theme song is They Might Be Giants. Um, and so that's, you know, that's my sort of pie in the sky someday. Um, do you listen to music while you're writing, you know, not in a writer's room situation, but if you're uh, alone? Sometimes. Um, I, I, it has to be in- instrumental usually because I get very pulled away by lyrics. Um, and so uh, I'll listen to a lot of like Daft Punk's more instrumental stuff. Yeah. Um, Especially if I just need to like, if I really need to like focus in and be like, okay, I, I this needs to be done by the end of the day. Like this is what we're doing, uh, and then mm-hmm. you know I go into like the cool, cool tech music zone. I have uh, a sorry, Mike. I have a zone like that. Um, you can also fill it with music from other countries if you don't speak that language. Yes, <laughs> because I have no idea what they're saying. Yeah, I um uh. Kometa, I don't know if that's how you pronounce their name. Um, I think they're Swedish, and they did some albums in English, but I think they have an album. That, they have an album that's I think in Swedish that I like writing to sometimes. Yeah. Uh, if you have any other recommendations uh, in that arena, please offline with me. I would love to hear. Yeah, them. we'll yeah we'll talk about it. So um, we've mentioned Hot Dog Steering Wheel a couple times. It's a short film that you uh, what you wrote and produced. Is that accurate? Uh, wrote wrote directed and produced. Wrote directed and produced. So if memory serves, when you spoke at the Fort Myers Film Festival after you had screened it and the audience had laughed uproariously. Um, you were asked how it came to you, and you said something like, "Well, the hot dog steering wheel came to me fully formed." Do I do I remember that correctly? And can you flesh that flesh that out a little bit? Um, yeah, I mean, th- that's that's kind of kind of how it was. I mean, like little things changed, but um, you know, I I have a even though I write longer form work now, uh, I have a sketch comedy background, and one of the things I love about sketch comedy and then you know and short films. Um, is the ability to have an idea just come to you and just be like, well, there's the idea. Um, you know, like I, I to me, um, most, 
most sort of creative forms are a combination of art and craft, right? And and sometimes you get these streaks that are just art where like the thing is just there. And that's kind of what it was for hot dog steering wheel, which I always wish I had like a, a better and more elaborate answer. But it's like one day it was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, that idea. Yep. And there it is. Cool. OK. Yeah, I love this. This speaks to me. Um, by the way, the actress in it is a dead ringer for a woman named Kate Scales, who now lives in L.A. Uh, she was Southwest Florida based until three or four years ago. He's, she's episode 21 of our podcast. Oh, so awesome. if you want to go, go check her out, Kate Scales, she's in a band called King Pink out in L.A. now. Cool. Yeah, I'll um, definitely check that out. I need to ask the question, Mike. Oh, uh, go ahead. Is a hot dog <laughs> a sandwich, Meg? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um... I so I'm one of those people who tends on her gut level to say no. I think that the hot dog lives as its own thing. Uh, I often think about. I don't know why. I, I this is like saying you've often given to this, this thought. I love this. No, no, yeah. no. Well, because I I often think about it and I'm like catching myself because it's it's saying that this is a thing I often think about. But there was an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000 where in one of the in between sketches. One of the robots called a hamburger a hamburger sandwich, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. Where it's just like, but it's a, it's a burger, but, but it is a sandwich. Like it, it really like it's it's stuck in my brain. It's like I saw that sometime in high school, and it's like you ask me if a hot dog's a sandwich, and the first thing I'm thinking about is like being back watching that sketch again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I say I say hot dog gut level lives as its own thing. All right. Well answered. <laughs> well, I will say before we move on from Hot Dog Steering Wheel, I just like saying that, um, you know, as the films come in, I'm the director of the show, of the film festival. So I'm who collects, as you know, like the, the films that we're going to play. And I don't have time to watch them all. So I kind of skipped through them. So I kind of knew that, you know, I knew what I was in for, but I hadn't seen it till I saw it, you know, in front of the, you know, with everybody else. But what I also do is I kind of Google each filmmaker as they come in just to kind of get a sense of like how fancy they are. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and I the first thing – so my first exposure to you, Meg, was that freaking video on your Twitter with the hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am so, thrilled that that is your first exposure to me. So that, that really caught my attention. So then when you happened to be there, I didn't expect you to be there. You live in L.A. for God's sakes. I was like, I got to go say hi to the hot dog steering wheel fake hand lady. No, I, dude, I was so excited to be there. It was just it was it was honestly like real magic for me because it was like the festival was happening two days after I was fully vaccinated or something. It was just like, oh, my goodness, I can go see my family and go to this festival. I'm so excited. Um yeah, no, I was I was so happy to be there. So, um, uh, what kind of devices do you use to listen to music? Um, so, I'd say I'm largely largely phone and computer. Um, we do have a record player. Uh, my husband has a huge vinyl collection. I have a smaller vinyl collection <laughs> within that. Um, but I, I just just for sort of ease of use, I feel like it's it's mostly phone and laptop these days. Do you listen to music on FM radio in a car? Very rarely. Um, out here we have a station, KCRW, which is uh, NPR, but they also do music, um, and they're fantastic. That's actually probably I'm, – I'm not great at picking up new music, but when I do pick up new music, it's usually through them. Uh, do you have any love or uh, uh, attraction to Broadway musicals? You, I used to more. I in high school I was a big musical person I think as as most theater kids in high school were um over the years it has not really stuck with me in uh, in the same way I know it has stuck with other people um I find if I'm if I'm watch if I want to watch something that is music related in media I tend to go more towards things that that lean more dance like than m- musical musical uh, i also did just like a big hand motion there to to denote musical uh, which, musical yeah i i my, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big talking with my hands person which i know is absolutely <laughs> lost in this format but no i felt it i felt it from here good, good, um good, good. Uh, what is your peak concert experience in your life Ooh. um so 
I'm not going to talk about all the They Might Be Giants concerts, even though that is a a deep, deep place for me. But um, so when I was in college, I was really into the dismemberment plan. And uh, I went to Ithaca in upstate New York. And, you know, there is a handful of other colleges that you could drive to within two or three hours from Ithaca. And, uh, and none of which were very big, but would book bands. And so I drove to Alfred College to see the dismemberment plan. And it was, uh, I think it was their quote unquote last tour before before we all got 10 to 15 years older and discovered that every single band we ever liked would eventually get back together and tour again, uh, <laughs> which the dismemberment plan did. But so uh, I went to see the dismemberment plan at Alfred College and it was just in this little, you know, student center room. The stage wasn't even raised. It was just a wooden circle on the floor. And, you know, not a lot of people there, maybe a hundred people surrounding the band uh, who just killed it. Like I, I, I was right up front. I was dancing the whole time. And then they took every single request that every single person had. Uh, I mean, I I think they played probably like 75 percent of their catalog that night. And it was it was just such an incredible magic show. Hmm. Um, Okay, it's time for your last song. Uh, Fish, you've brought us a shorter fish song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I um, we we will we will talk about this after because I I don't want to I don't want want to color anybody's listen of this. Okay, and I just want to say, you said if I could get the recording from July 17th, 2021? Yes. But I looked, and I couldn't find that, and I even went, because, you know, they're Fish. So they've even got a website that's like, how many times has this song been played by Fish, and which dates has it played on? And it didn't have that date. So I found one from, uh, it's from August 7th of this year, so off by about three weeks. So you're going to have to live with that, okay? Yeah, that is fine. Okay, this is Possum by Fish, recorded live at the Deer Creek Music Center in Noblesville, Indiana. Listening to this now might might actually be the second time I've ever heard this song, so I know it's a weird selection for my last song. Um, But uh, the first time I listened to this song uh, spurred something that kind of changed my life. so in 2017, I, my husband and I uh, were in Chicago visiting some friends, and uh, my husband used to follow fish in college. I'm, I'm actually not a big fish fan. I would call myself fish agnostic. Um, but we, we went to a show um, with some of his friends, and I was feeling kind of weird as we were going into the show. Like, I was, I was feeling kind of anxious and stuff, and so we, you know, we get in there, and it's one of these big outdoor things with thousands of people and we, you know, have our space in the middle of the pit and uh, they started playing Possum as their first song and everyone around me starts dancing and they're just like absolutely like blissing out. They're so happy and I get so overwhelmed that I just start like openly weeping Um, and and I was just like, what, you know, what is going on? And so I you know, felt very intense. I took myself out of the crowd and went to get a beer because I was like, maybe this will help. And so I'm like, I have my beer and I'm like standing off to the side and just like trying to stop crying and like get myself under control. And this guy comes up to me and and I had this moment of like, oh, this is nice. You know, like fish show, like hippies, like like this like nice guy's coming to check on me. <laughs> and he, he comes up and gets in my face. He's like, this is supposed to be fun. Why aren't you having fun? And I was just like, oh, my God, <laughs> like, what is happening? Um, but, but you know, it was also this legitimate moment of, like, why am I not having fun? And so uh, the next night we were, we were slated to go to another show, another fish show, and uh, there wasn't a ticket for me. And everyone was like, oh, it's fish. We can find you a ticket. And I kept just being like, guys, like, no, like, I, I don't want to go back to this show. Like, it's fine. Like, trust me. Like, I'm totally good staying back at the place. Uh, and so I stayed back and I ended up just sitting on the computer doing research, trying to be like, OK, so what happened yesterday? And and I, um, for the first time, came across this concept of highly sensitive people um, who are people whose nervous systems are just like naturally genetically more sensitive than everyone else. 
And reading reading about that at that moment, it was just this like this light went off of just like so many things in my life and like the way I've interacted with people and the world and all of these times that I've, you know, been overwhelmed in crowds or, you know, if I'm just like, you know, I'm I'm a person who's like really quick to laugh, but I'm I can also be a person who's really quick to cry. And this is, uh, you know, this is just like what highly sensitive people are. It's like estimated to be about 30 percent of the population uh, is this. And, you know, I had been sort of spending my life with a, kind of a lot of the messages that I think we get of like, oh, I just need to toughen up. Like, why can't I toughen up? Like, why, you know, why do I need to go in the bathroom and cry at work right now? Like, why can't I just like be like everyone else? And it was just like, oh, like I, I just literally am not like this. This is how I'm wired. And I just kind of need to learn how to work with that. Um, and so it it really after that, like change, it changed my life and sort of how I interact with the world and how I treat myself um, and which was just like really lovely. And I don't I don't think it would have happened without that moment at that show. So um, thanks to thanks to fish, then they helped you. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, I also feel like I should say here, I know, I, I realized I picked, I picked three things. I'm, I tend to often not be like a small talk person. I'm kind of a, a large talk person, if you will, where I'm like, let's just get into it. Like, let's get into the deep stuff. So I picked three songs that I realized are like, hey, this totally changed my life. Let's talk about <laughs> it. Let's get serious. Well, that's the one, those are the ones we want. <laughs> Well, you said 30% of people have this. Did you know that uh, Possum has been played at 28.85% of live fish shows? <laughs> I, I love – I like, bless the, the fish heads for just, like, all of the statistics, like, all of the deep information. Uh, you know, just, yeah, just, just bless them. <laughs> um, have you been to any other fish shows since then, or did that put you off fish shows? Um, I – I've been to one other fish show that I actually can't remember if it was since then or before it, but I went to one of the Halloween shows in Vegas, uh, which was its own uh, <laughs> its its own uh, bit of overwhelm because we're in a stadium in a casino in Vegas, um, but I had a seat there, so I was I was much more sort of grounded. <laughs> Um, okay, we're going to speed round you here. Yeah. We're, we're heading down toward the finish line. Um, nickname. You have a nickname that is stuck over the course of your life. Uh, I wish I could tell you that I did. Um, people used to try to give me nicknames that rhymed with Meg or like Nutmeg, um, uh, Meg the Egg, and I, I, w- I would not have that <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> I would not allow egg? it. Um, yeah. my, 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 one of my best friends in high school tried to give me the nickname Possum. True story. Didn't, <laughs> didn't, didn't stick. Um, if you were a championship wrestler, what music would you come in on? Bikini Kills Rubble Girl. Wow, you knew the answer. If you were a cocktail or drink that was a distilled you, what would it be? Okay, so uh, here, here is my drink for you. It is uh, – this is a drink we actually we, – Sorry, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. Um, okay, so it's a Negroni variation. It's one part Mezcal, one part Aperol, and one part uh, good vermouth-like uh, Carpano Antico. Uh, and then the next level is my husband a few years ago gave me a small aging barrel for Christmas, and I was like, cool. this is ridiculous. Like, we don't need this, but... Uh, we absolutely did need it because I put that mixture in there, and now we just have a barrel-aged version of that cocktail anytime we want. Um, and so so I know you're you're all about the names of this. I'm going to tell you what I want to name it and then what it should be named. Okay. Because <laughs> what I want to name it is the cool aunt because I've been le- leaning into my cool aunt energy lately. There but I don't want to imply that I'm the cool aunt who like gives booze to underage people. <laughs> so cool so I'm gonna kind of love that though. <laughs> so Come I was on, gonna say go with the weird aunt instead, which is like similar but doesn't sound quite as good. Uh, but I, I guess you you can you can take whichever one you want. From that. Weird aunt is okay. I like that. <laughs> um, if you could broadcast a song into the brains of every human simultaneously, which would it be? Ooh, so I thought about this one a lot, and I think uh, 
Beatles Day in the Life, uh, just because if it's it's beautiful, it's insane, and there's so much there. There's something for everyone in that. Um, uh, is there any so- kinds of music or songs that you'll avoid listening to? Uh, <laughs> um, I don't. I'm not a huge Christmas music person. Like I'll I'll accept it from other people, but I'm not gonna seek it out. Uh, I also really hate that UB40 cover of Red Red Wine. Just, you can keep that away from me. I'm fine with that. I didn't know it was a cover. Uh, yeah, I believe it was a Neil Diamond song? Uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting a thumbs up from Christian. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Good on you, Christian. Um, uh, you said you'd still, you still, you and your husband do have albums. Do you have a yes. perfect album in your opinion? Ooh, a perfect album. Oh. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a person who's really bad at picking favorites. Um, I that that Harvey Danger album I mentioned earlier, "Where Have All the Merrymakers Gone," is the album that I will still listen to all the way through to this day, even though it's the the thing that I've had and have been listening to for the longest. I, I just I think it's top to bottom great. Uh, and then recently, I, I think Fiona Apple's "Fetch the Bolt Cutters" was. Amazing. I mean, it hasn't had the sort of longevity yet, but I, I just love that album. So on your website, there's a picture of you that says the caption, it's uh, TLDR Meg can largely be explained by this photo from when she was 15. <laughs> it's you holding an X-Men and a Dave Barry paperback books. Yes. So my question is, is what would that kid think of where you are today and who you uh, are and what you're doing? Dude, I think she'd be pretty into it. Um, you oh. know, I'm... I'm in L.A. I'm working as a TV writer. I spend my free time attaching fake hands to remote control cars. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm married to an awesome partner and have great friends and a cool cat. Like, I, I, I don't know what she'd be quibbling with if she had any quibbles. Excuse me, I have to interrupt here. That picture, am I reading this right? Is that a Star Trek The Next Generation X Men crossover? Yes, I, I actually. Oh my God, I thought it looked like you. Riker, but I assumed, I don't know, X Men. I assumed there was somebody on X Men that looked like <laughs> no. Will Riker. Nope, it, it, it is a, a X Men Star Trek Next Generation crossover book. Wait, what, uh, so wait, what do they do? Wait, what do they do when, when Picard meets Professor Xavier? Um, it's just well, Patrick Stewart me... all the way down. Let me let me tell you about this, because um, so I couldn't remember this book and I was thinking about it recently and I'm like, I'm going to reread this. And I got halfway through it and it was so bad that I had to stop. <laughs> uh, it was it was just I, 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 I am sorry for whoever wrote this because I, I know you're doing the work. Um, but but I was just like, I don't think I can follow through with this. Um, so I don't know is the unfortunate answer to that. <laughs> uh, was it like the, the episode of Voyager when Janeway and uh, the other guy turned into um, salamanders? <laughs> no, no, it was more. I think the I think the X-Men got pulled to a planet through some sort of. You know, X. Inter, interdimensional trans, you know, transit something. Yeah, my my memory for it is not good. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, okay, we're about done, so it's about time for you to recommend your three people. But I just wanted to give you one piece of advice. So yeah. you you retweeted. I looked at your Twitter feed. You retweeted an article from the Onion that Rock looked way cooler when wet, and you commented, "I have been seen." <laughs> um, uh, rock tumbler. You need to get a rock tumbler. I actually I'm, have a rock tumbler. Oh my god, I'm I a rock tumbler. <gasps> yeah. Oh man. I Okay, right. I, on. I know I know we can't spend a bunch of time talking about rock tumbling right now, <laughs> but you better believe I want to. Okay, well then we'll just leave it at that. Okay, so it's time for you to recommend your three people uh, who you'll share this with. <laughs> um yeah, so uh it comes with a teeny tiny story. Um a few years ago, I had the really good fortune to be selected for this um, this screenwriters colony uh, on Nantucket where they pay to fly you out for two weeks, um, you and three other writers, to work on your screenplay. Uh, and they put you up in this old farmhouse and they feed you. And it is just like the most idyllic, insane experience I've ever had. And the three other people I was there with, we were all selected randomly, uh, have become – 
three of my absolute best friends, and they all have really interesting relationships with music in addition to being really interesting writers. So I'm going to recommend each of them. Um, there's Joe Keohane, who uh, is – he's actually more of a journalist uh, than a screenwriter at this point. He came out with this fantastic book this year uh, called The Power of Strangers. Uh, and he spent his early 20s, I think, playing in blues bands. Um Caitlin Fontana is a feature writer, and um, she used to be a music journalist, a rock journalist, and she has a book that I meant to look up ahead of time that is about music, and I don't remember what it is. Uh, And then Jay Jameson is a a writer on um, Superman and Lois, that new Superman show. Um, And uh, like me, I think... I, I I don't know this, but I think he primarily, like me, uh, relates to music through dancing. Um, but I'm sure he can tell you a lot more about it. Okay. Well, give this to them and then put us in touch with them and we will try to make that happen. Awesome. Um, I will absolutely do that. My last question for you before we uh, say goodbye is, are you cooking up any new unnecessarily complicated high fives? <laughs> um, ooh, that is a good question. I I – just did one with the little hands on Matchbox cars, and I don't know what my next one is going to be yet, but I'll, I'll probably figure out one over, like, the, the winter break in December. Okay. Well, I'll be keeping my eyes out. So any final <laughs> thoughts for us, Meg? We appreciate your time. Oh, no, just that this I'm, – I'm, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun and so happy to be here with you guys. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and host. Chris Duffis is our executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we're going back a year to episode 148 guest Mark Massaro. Big Dave fan, that guy. He's also a professor of English at Florida Southwestern State College in Fort Myers. His second song was a live version of Warehouse by Dave Matthews Band, performed in Central Park in 2003. Mark talked about how when he first came across Dave, he wasn't quite sure what to think. His 90s brain was exploding, not understanding the improv aspect of the band. But then some older kids took him to his first Dave show, and that just opened up all sorts of new doors and the Dave scene's positivity was addictive and it has all stayed with him to this very day. Keep listening. Yes? Next time on Three Song Stories. I think I had like a calendar of NSYNC um, but it wasn't hanging up. (laughs) 